The following program contains mature subject matter not suitable for young viewers and graphic images that may be disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. I don't know what I got myself into. In a doctor's investigation unlike any other. You have surgery recruiters and it's all happening on social media. We uncover the disturbing truth behind the black market of beauty. The victims. Both their plastic surgery nightmares straight from their hospital bed. The consequences. She went to get plastic surgery and she's dying. And those who paid the ultimate price for beauty. What have I done? That's today. The landscape of plastic surgery is transforming procedures more accessible all across the globe. Our investigative producer, Leslie Marcus, uncovered some disturbing new trends. An intricate web of surgery coaches and recruiters using social media to sell deeply discounted and potentially dangerous cosmetic procedures. Take a look. What if killer curves were just a border crossing away? That's the illusion being offered by so-called surgery coaches and recruiters who use social media to aggressively market a wide range of cosmetic procedures to women. Clients travel to San Diego, California and walk across the border into Mexico where a driver takes them to a surgery clinic. After a day of recovery, a driver takes the client back across the border to the U.S. Affordable prices, flashy OR videos, and enticing results make it appear to be a great deal. But could the online allure of getting a better body be so strong that you'd overlook the real life risks? Our investigative producer, Leslie, joins us now. And you've become really passionate about this topic. So let's just start broadly. Tell us a little bit about this underground plastic surgery that you uncovered. This is a whole new era of plastic surgery. You have this broker aspect, you have surgery recruiters, you have surgery coaches, and it's all happening on social media. There are dedicated pages of women that are putting their entire plastic surgery journeys online on these Instagram pages. They're called SX pages, and they call it being reborn or becoming dolls. And it's this huge community where they're documenting everything going on that you could liken it to, let's say, a fitness blog or a makeup tutorial blog, but it's all about plastic surgery. And while I believe it is empowering to women, I also feel like there's definitely a level of cyberbullying going on that I witnessed and a lot of hate and backlash when things don't go right. Are these people who are using social media to promote certain services that are underground, so to speak, are they getting paid to do so? Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, they're acting as, as agents. Aspect. I'd like yeah. to call them more like pimps. They're recruiting potential patients. Mm -hmm. Of course they have a financial So there is, there is an and, element that is and, probably overselling and everything. everything they're on. portraying here, Leslie, is positive. Mm -hmm. Nothing but great results without any sorts of complications. These pages of the recruiters are filled with beautiful pictures of their new bodies and their lingerie and in their tight clothing and they make it look so easy they're using their bodies as billboards for these unknowing women that are going into it thinking it's a cakewalk and it's also because it's so much it's so much cheaper than it is in well, the United the, States it's so, so compelling the price is so enticing and I, I, so enticing. I need to address that you you mentioned that you can go down south of the border get this the the latest craze Brazilian butt lift mm -hmm where they're doing liposuction on multiple areas of your body, then injected it into your backside, mm -hmm. which 
is a lot of work, many hours of surgery. They're doing it for one global fee of $5,000. I'm telling you, it, it can't be done safely, effectively for that amount of money. This is all done online. So you DM these surgery recruiters pictures of your body. They give you a quote online. There's cash apps where you're paying non-refundable fees for to book your surgery. And then when you actually go to get your surgery, they'll only take cash. So you're crossing the border with thousands of dollars strapped to your waist or however you want to do it. It's so risky. Tell us about the type of women who are actually looking into these procedures. So the type of women are moms, single moms, hardworking women that just want a better figure. I mean, you have this image that you could take all that fat and just put it in your butt. And now you have snatched waist, big butt. These women, they see all these recruiters and their results they want it too. Let, let me just say that with a very affordable exactly. fee. Yeah. They compare, they go online, they see what it's going to cost you here, even in the most discounted. And and let me setting. just say that all of us can fall prey to this. And there are plenty of photoshopped images, even used in, in this country, where the before and afters are over the top. Tell us about the whole concept of the surgery sisters. Fascinating. It's a new concept. I've never heard of this before. But you got to understand this online community is so vast and they have these private groups and you find somebody who has the same surgery date as you and that's your surgery sister. So you do this together and that's how it works. You obviously met a lot of different individuals. Mm -hmm. In particular, Leslie met a group of women who all went through the same surgery coach, traveled across the border for procedures and endured their own plastic surgery nightmares. Have a look. It's a new age of medical tourism that's all done on smartphones with enticing plastic surgery results and bargain basement prices. But behind the beautiful bodies, there's a real dark side that we uncovered. It didn't take long to find several women willing to expose their plastic surgery nightmares. And they recounted their stories straight from their hospital beds. I just wanted to feel like I did before when I had all my kids. Seeing those results really made me want to have it. They sell you a dream. They made me feel like they were going to have me looking amazing. And so I sent pictures, and I asked for a deposit, and they just say, be in Tijuana on this date. I bought a fanny pack at $8,000 in cash. was really scary because they said you have to pay the cash when you get there. No other exception. After the women set their surgery date, they traveled to the San Diego-Mexico border, where a driver picked them up and took them to the surgery clinic. But as soon as they arrived, everything seemed amiss. It was extremely dirty. It looked like the floors hadn't been mopped or swept in a long time. Girls having sleeping bags and sweats on the couch, sleeping there. It looked like they take my kidney. Like, that's how sketchy it looked. There were bars in the windows. The nurse ended up drawing my blood without any gloves on, which scared me. I was excited, but I was freaking scared. They did that, and blood got everywhere. Like, oh my God, I don't know what I got myself into. The women all told me that despite their better judgment, they chose to go through with the surgeries. One of the nurses came in to the little cubicle that I was in, and she kind of just like, it's your time, come on. And then next thing you know, I felt a prick in my back. And she was like, you know, be still. She brought my head down and he just kept poking into my spine and I felt him put that rod right into my back. And I like hopped kind of up and I'm screaming. They put the medicine and I don't remember nothing else after that. 
the nurses came in and they took me to the bathroom to take a shower. I'm just getting out of surgery and it's open wounds. It's water from Mexico that's hitting these open wounds. So I wake up during my surgery and I feel tugging and they are in the middle of my tummy tuck. And I thought to myself, what have I done? What have I done? But the women's plastic surgery horrors didn't stop there. The worst was yet to come. After the women completed their surgeries, they recovered at a hotel close to the clinic. But Brittany and Monet's conditions became dire very quickly, and they were desperate to get across the border and see an American doctor. I woke up the second day, and I couldn't stop shaking. I wasn't able to walk. I wasn't able to breathe right. I looked like I was dying. So I call my surgery sister from the hotel line, and I tell her, we got to cross. So at that point, we were like really freaking out because, you know, the taxis won't take you over the border. When we get towards the border, I just think that I promised God, if you just let us make it across, let me live. I promise to tell my story. I won't be embarrassed. And I, and I promise to just try to be a kinder person. All four women made it back to the States, but their nightmare was far from over. As soon as they crossed the border, Monet and Jessica went straight to the hospital. They said that I have an abscess in my stomach. They had to give me a blood transfusion. And then they found a bunch of air around my spine from when the epidural was trying to be done. The doctors here said I was lucky I'm not paralyzed. They found air in my abdominal area and an infection. And I remember asking the doctor, am I gonna die? He was like, I don't know. I was recovering fine for the first two weeks. They took the drain out for me. And after that, my stomach started just getting bigger. And I was in so much pain and come to find out that I had seroma and three infections and had to get an emergency surgery. And it got really uncomfortable. One member went to ER if I couldn't walk. If they can't get that fluid out, they were gonna have to strip it to their muscle. What started as a journey to gain self-confidence left all the women botched and broken. I don't have any feeling in my lower back area where they did the epidural. Sorry, I'm just... It's not worth your life. It's not worth it at all. I have a nine-year-old daughter who could be without a mom right now, but if I can turn back the hands of time, I definitely wouldn't have gone to get surgery at all. My best advice to women is if you're going just to love yourself the way you are. And if you're going to do a surgery, please do your, do your research. Coming up, we're going to meet with other victims and their families whose loved ones weren't so lucky. Coming up, how people are paying for beauty with their lives. She went to Tijuana to get plastic surgery and she's dying. Then, another victim in the booming business of medical tourism. I woke up after surgery, I woke up in a puddle of blood. That's coming up. This fall, after a decade of healthy advice. I would choose a different product. Red 40, yellow 5 and 6, that's not food! Everyone, throw those away. I didn't think I smoked that much, but I still got oral cancer. Medical breakthroughs. It's a miracle. I'm 100% pain-free. You take a small needle through the chest wall of the fetus and directly into the heart. Only one show continues to change lives. An all-new season of The Doctors premieres September 10th. Coming tomorrow.
How to get past your fitness plateau. If you're not doing that while you're doing your abs, you're wasting your time. Plus, can an allergy attack turn into a sinus infection? The answer in quick fire questions. That's tomorrow. The following program contains graphic images that may be disturbing. Parents are advised that these images may not be suitable for young children. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Before the break, our investigative producer, Leslie Marcus, took us inside the black market of plastic surgery where coaches and recruiters use social media to aggressively market discounted cosmetic procedures in Mexico. We heard from four women who all went to the same surgery group and ended up in the hospital with life-threatening injuries and infections. Join us now is Nora, whose aunt died following her plastic surgery in Mexico. And Nora, I'm very sorry. Can you explain what happened to your aunt? My aunt went to Tijuana to get plastic surgery. Um, my mom called and she's like, your tia Irma went to, she went to Tijuana to get plastic surgery and she's dying. Um, so, you know, there was family that was already on the way. They were already there. So I was in contact with them. And I was asking them like, okay, what are the doctors telling you? What's going on? And they weren't getting any answers from anybody. Um, they weren't allowed to see my aunt. They told us that my aunt, um, she was in a coma and it was induced because she was seizing. So they needed to stop the seizures. Um, as the days progressed, we didn't see any improvement. Um, we, weren't getting, we weren't getting answers. There was a lot of red flags going on. So I talked to everybody that was there and I was like, we need to get her out of here. We um, contacted an organization that sent an ambulance to the clinic where my aunt was at and we brought her on to the border and from the border, um, we had a paramedics that took us to San Diego Hospital and as soon as they put us into the emergency room, I was in the, I was in the paramedics so I was allowed to go in the room with her and I kept hearing doctors say brain dead, um, she didn't get enough oxygen, and, now, and I'm thinking, this isn't the, what, the information we were given in Tijuana, what's going on? So finally, once the doctor, he put me to the side, and he's like, you need to contact your family for everybody to get over here because you guys, need to, you guys need to make decisions. We had to call family from Florida, from Texas, that if they wanted to, if they wanted to get there in time, they had to, they had to be, the appropriate um, reservations to make their way over here. And they did. The whole family was there to say goodbye to her. But that's technically what happened. Um, as I was doing more research as far as what happened, the doctor that operated on her, he wasn't even certified to perform that type of surgery. Clearly, without anyone knowing it, she was in dire straits. And I'm just trying to get a sense for the facility. What was that facility like? So the facility was not your typical hospital where if someone's in critical condition, where they're fully equipped to tend to that person's medical needs. And when I got to the facility, I won't call it a hospital, but when I got to the facility, I was like, this is, what is this? 
So, you know, with my aunt getting CT scans and they were doing blood transfusions, they had to bring everything from outside into the facility. I was like, this facility is not fully equipped to take care of my aunt. Did you ever learn mm -hmm. her cause of death, ultimately? So when we got to San Diego, they told us that the brain injury was caused because of lack of oxygen. So when I heard the doctors talking about how they didn't even put the tubing in right, I was like, my aunt went without oxygen for who knows how long, you know? And I find out that the surgeon that performed on my, on my aunt, he's still practicing on women over there. And Leslie, I'm curious in your investigation, did you find out anything about how these facilities are accredited or how physicians are accredited vis-a-vis -vis these types of surgeries and this type of mm -hmm. social media recruitment? So in Mexico, I did find that there are two sites you can go to. One is to see if the doctor is certified in the surgery that they're performing, and the other one is to see if the facility is in fact accredited. Now, a lot of the women that I spoke to, they didn't know who their doctor was, so there's that out the window, but the ones that did, I put their name in there and they weren't certified for plastic surgery and the clinics they went to, those weren't accredited either. And I just wanna take this moment to clarify that we are not implying that there are not well-suited doctors in Mexico or any other country in the Mexico world not, that, that aren't able to do these procedures. The issue here is going to a facility with unaccredited providers. I won't even use the word doctors because we don't even know if these are doctors. And that's what's scary to me that some of the most basic things, mm -hmm. if they're not recognized, can lead very quickly to death and untoward outcomes. And Nora, we are so very sorry mm -hmm. for your loss. And coming up, the same surgery recruiter that recruited Nora's aunt also recruited others. And we're gonna meet one of them when we return. Coming up, another victim in the booming business of medical tourism. I woke up after surgery, I woke up in a puddle of blood. Then, when women are willing to risk their lives for this look, I'm as a layperson saying, okay, I feel like you guys are taking your profession too far. That's coming up. Coming tomorrow, it's the statistic that shocked us all. More than one in 10 Americans have had sex at work. You mean to say you haven't? I do have a good story on this one. Then, what can you do if you're stuck at a weight no matter how much exercise you're doing? How to get past your fitness plateau. If you're not doing that while you're doing your abs, you're wasting your time. Plus, can an allergy attack turn into a sinus infection? The answer in quick fire question. And then on Wednesday, you may not recognize his face, but his voice is iconic. Now he opens up exclusively to the doctors about the medical scare that almost took his life. Plus, we reveal the double chin sins you may be committing right now. That's Wednesday. The following program contains graphic images that may be disturbing. Parents are advised that these images may not be suitable for young children. Today we're talking about some of the untoward practices of surgery recruiters that are going online and convincing men and women to cross the border and go to uncertified clinics to be worked upon by people who are not even certified as doctors. We're now about to meet another victim, Chris, who joins us in the audience. And Chris, so hard sitting here listening to Nora's story about her aunt. You personally were convinced by a surgery recruiter. In fact, the same one that convinced Nora's aunt can you tell us a little bit about your journey and when you started to notice some red flags? 
Um, the, the moment I we got to the to the facility, you know, it, it just seemed something wasn't right. Um, the nurses had dirty scrubs. The sheets were stained with blood. Um, the, the biggest red flag was for me was that the nurse didn't wear gloves while taking my blood uh, to test my blood to make sure I had, you know, I was okay for the surgery. Um, and then seeing the operating room was just made me, scared me, because I had had surgery in the United States and it was nothing like it. So then what happened? Tell us about your experience. When I woke up after surgery, I, I woke up in the, a puddle of blood, of my own blood. Um, an hour after that, the nurse came in the room and told me that I needed to shower. I needed to get in the shower to clean myself. And I told her that I couldn't. I couldn't. I was too weak to get up. Uh, she refused. She took me in the shower, dragged me in the shower, and threw water on me uh, to wash the blood off of me. I don't care what surgical procedure it is. You wait at least a couple of days for these incisions to close to a certain degree so they're sealed so that you can't have tap water potentially uh, getting into these fresh incisions. Can you explain what happened next? The next day I was released from the hospital, uh, from the clinic, it wasn't even a hospital, it was a clinic. And um, a few days after that, um, I had a really high fever and I was, my body was going into shock. I didn't know, I didn't know why. So I, uh, my family took me to the hospital and I, doctors told me that I almost went into cardiac arrest and I needed about four uh, blood transfusions to survive. I was in the hospital for two months wow. and they had to cut me, um, cut the side of my, my butt and my leg to save my life. In this whole experience, did you try to contact the recruiter or your surgery coach? And then what was the experience like with that? In the beginning, she told me that the whole surgery went perfect. So she doesn't understand why I'm having issues. Um, once she found out that I was in the hospital, she uh, cut all ties with me. She stopped uh, answering my messages, uh, my phone calls from my family members, and she pretty much blocked me from social media just so I won't um, say anything about my experience online. What, what procedures did you have done, if I can ask Chris? Yeah, I had a, a Brazilian butt lift and I okay. had a 360 lipo. Uh, so they transfer all the fat to my, to my butt. So that, that explains, you know, why they did a major liposuction on Chris, and obviously she lost a lot of blood in the course of that large volume. So real serious, potentially life-threatening procedure being done by people that have no right to be doing this procedure in facilities where they're not prepared to deal with, with complications. It sounds to me, when you're describing your story of basically being forced into the shower, to get water to rinse off the blood. And I'm assuming you had to go down there and give them probably the, the mortgage on anything in your life, probably gave them a massive cash payment, right, to do this? Yeah. And they're, they're just trying, they're trying to turn that room around. They're trying to get, get you, I'm guessing, to the side so they can bring in their next victim. Chris, I'm just, I know you spent a lot of money on this surgery, but two months in the hospital, that was back here in the United yeah, States? this was in, in L.A. Um, I have over $200,000 of medical bills at this point. 200000 And you paid 4000 for the procedure originally. Paid $4,000. Um, they sold me a dream, and, and now I have, now I'm in debt. Can you touch a little bit on that dream they sold you? Because I know you were following the surgery group for right. a year and religiously looking at their Snapchats, looking at their Insta stories, their before and after pictures. Talk about how alluring 
that yes. group is and the women that are posting these pictures. Right, they tell you that you're gonna look perfect, that um, you're gonna have the curves, you're gonna have uh, the sex appeal, you're gonna have everything that you want, that a woman wants. And for that type of prize, I mean, who wouldn't do it? Exactly. Right? So Chris, then tell us in contrast, what has your actual recovery experience been like for you? Um, you know, I was out of work for over three months and my butt is never gonna look the same. They told me that I can never get plastic surgery in that area because I can get an infection again and that will spread through my body and will kill me eventually. I was very depressed for a long time, um, but I had to get myself together and, you know, move forward and make sure I share my awareness of my experience because that's, that's gonna save lives at the end Thank of the day. Thank you for sharing. You. And I know you've been through so much. But truly, we are just so happy that you are alive and here with us today. Thank you. And a lot of people are going to hear your story. Coming up, we're going to meet with a doctor known for creating curvaceous bodies here in the U.S. He's going to reveal the hidden risks of these complex procedures. Coming up, when women are willing to risk their lives for this look, I'm as a layperson saying, okay, I feel like you guys are taking your profession too far. Then, gathering intel on medical tourism. People are taking information off the internet and making life-threatening decisions. That's coming up. Closed captioning provided by... inside the black market of beauty. We spoke to several women who shared the same surgery coach and ended up with life-threatening infections and even fatal consequences. We now want to bring in board-certified plastic surgeon Dr. Sage Patel for more perspective on the complexity and certainly hidden risks of these procedures. Welcome, Dr. Patel. Obviously, we just heard horrible stories about one woman after the other, this kind of turnover factory approach. The procedure you're talking about, how arduous is that? How time-consuming? It is such a tough surgery. Every aspect of the surgery, there are so many aspects to the surgery, Brazilian butt lift. It involves liposuction, and then it involves a grafting of fat and processing of fat. And it's a long surgery that has major physiological demands on the patient. It requires movement intraoperatively. So from an anesthesia perspective, it's also a very difficult surgery. And it boggles my mind for that people think that this is a simple procedure compared I, I, to something like a breast augmentation I, I, that takes 40 minutes. I think that is the key here, that this is major, major surgery that you need to be under monitored general anesthesia for extended period of time. And just by the nature of the magnitude of, of the surgery, there are inherent risks. And in fact, we know here in the States, in the hands of reputable people, there have been deaths. So in my mind, as somebody who's been doing plastic surgery now for over 35 years, you know, I question whether we should be, you know, taking these larger volumes of fat and putting them into the backside of women because it's potentially a life-threatening situation if you inject fat into the blood vessels in that area. Why did Chris get in too much trouble? This is a free graft of fat. It's seeking a blood supply. If it doesn't get it, it dies. It sits there. It's the perfect fuel for an infection. Or if you try to overstuff the area you're filling with fat, that skin is going to break down. So I, I think this is, in a nutshell, what happened to Chris. So yes, I'll still continue to do Brazilian butt lifts, but 
you know, my, my goal is going to be different. And if that doesn't coincide to what, what the patient's looking for, that's a flat no. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it because I think it's too risky. I think the, the prudent surgeon is going to back off a little bit and, and maybe not try to push the envelope. But I don't think it's just about not being aggressive. I'm extremely aggressive. Out of the five patients I did this week, three of them had maximum lipo for the state of California, five liters of lipo. I'm a very aggressive surgeon. But the only two things I care about are your result and your safety. Mm. I think that you need to control the environment that it's being done in. And I think that's one of the most important things. Of course, the doctor and the team. I literally manage every aspect of risk for the patient in every aspect of my center, my staff, my anesthesia, the way I do the procedure. It's down to a science. Can I ask a question? I'm, again, putting on my layperson's hat. I, I do worry when a trend becomes normal and people are willing to put their lives at risk. And I'm not talking about you specifically, Dr. Patel, we're gonna talk about some of these hidden risks in a moment, but that this quote unquote beautiful body and shape that is surgically contoured and made, quite frankly, in an operating room, when when women are willing to risk their lives for this look, I'm as a layperson saying, okay, I feel like you guys are taking your profession too far. What are the real risks of this procedure? Well, I think now with what's going on, you have to say potentially you could have a a fat embolism event, which means you could die. The American Society of Plastic Surgeons is looking at that right now. Do we have to add that to the standard informed consent for Brazilian butt lift that you could die? So, I, I mean, that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. And it, even in the hands of, of, of surgeons like, like the two of us, trained in general surgery and, and plastic surgery and board certified and a lot of experience and, and we're diligent, we try to be safe, we try to avoid these potential problems, but they can happen. Can you talk about the mentality that of women? You were telling me that if you don't put enough fat in their butts, that they think you're a lazy surgeon or you're not doing a good job. And can you talk about the reason why you might not be trans- putting all of this fat in somebody's body in the first place? Right. So one thing that people have to understand about fat, fat transfer is that you're actually taking the fat completely out of the body and you're putting it back in. And that means you've disconnected the fat from the native blood supply. Okay. And so when the butt receives the fat or whatever area receives the fat, it now needs to revascularize that fat. So what does that mean? That means that the two highways need to connect. Within the fat, there's a little microscopic highway of blood vessels still, and the rest of the body now needs to reconnect to it, and that's why we say don't sit for two weeks or don't go to Vegas and run around within the first two weeks. Take it easy. Let the fat revascularize, meaning let it become reconnected to the body. There's two things that I'm worried about uh, when we're talking about this tourism with surgery coaches. Number one, Chris, I highly doubt you had a true informed consent process. I'm willing to bet you did not know the potential risks. And what I will say is if a patient knows all the risks and they are informed and they give an informed consent, then they are shouldering some of that burden. They know there's risks. But the second element, and I'm I'm sure you have this, Dr. Patel, is there's got to be someone you can contact the minute a problem arises, the minute there's an issue. And my, my, my biggest concern hearing your story, Chris, and certainly nor the story of your aunt, is there was nowhere to turn. If these are this risky and you're going to unaccredited facilities, there's no informed consent and there's nowhere to turn when things go bad, that's what's really scary to me. Dr. Patel, before we let you go, what is the one word of advice you would give to someone who's considering 
Dr. Warden has expressed obviously his concerns, but what is the one word of advice you would give to someone considering a Brazilian butt lift? Choose, start with a board certified plastic surgeon. We go through a very, very rigorous process to become board certified plastic surgeons. And when you look at board certified plastic surgeons, at least you know that their work is real. A board certified plastic surgeon is not gonna put up fake work or somebody else's work. That's what worries me is if, if this ideal image that these surgery recruiters are putting out there, and I know quite frankly they're using, Leslie told me they're using some of your before and afters to promote their practices. To me, this becomes really scary. I've had them stolen seven or eight different countries already. I've contacted their boards of those nations and they haven't done anything about them. And again, like you said earlier, I think it's important to say that there's amazing doctors all over the world. Oh, absolutely. Plastic surgery was created by doctors in Italy, in Great Britain, in Brazil, in Mexico. All of our forefathers were all over the world. And so we're not saying that you can't have an amazing doctor in another country, but here at least you can know what you're getting when you go to a board certified plastic surgeon. And if you know that they have a lot of nice pictures and good before and afters and you can meet people that have had surgery with them and you, you meet with them in a consultation and you get a good feeling about their staff, that's when you know that you can go. You don't need a recruiter, you don't need a consultant or somebody to get you a doctor. You need to call their office, talk to their staff, set up a consultation and meet the doctor. Yep. And that, yeah. that's who should perform your surgery. If I, can, if I can button it up, my tips, it's all about safety first. Chris, I'm going to use you as an example. Yes, price is a concern. Yes, you want to see results. But your safety, your life come first. Make sure that those things are the priority whenever you're having anything done. Coming up, we're going to discuss the hidden risks and crucial steps that you need to take before you ever think about trying medical tourism. Coming up, gathering intel on medical tourism. People are taking information off the internet and making life-threatening decisions. Then... How do you ensure that you're going to actually see the same MD that you've researched online? That's coming up. Closed captioning provided by... Before the break, we exposed the dangers and risks of getting plastic surgery procedures abroad in unaccredited facilities. But medical tourism covers all fields of medicine. So how can you have any medical procedure done safely? And if you can, how do you go about doing that? Join us now via Skype with a different perspective is Renee Marie Stefano, the president of the Medical Tourism Association. We also have Glenn Cohen, a professor at Harvard Law School and the author of Patients with Passports. Thank you both so much for joining on this very important conversation. Renee, I would like to start with you because you're a big proponent of medical tourism and you say that some of the horror stories that people hear are giving medical tourism a bad name. Explain that to us if you would. Well, I am absolutely passionate about the opportunities for medical tourism, but the challenges are that people are taking um, information off the internet and making life-threatening decisions based on what they read and not necessarily knowing what all the um, aspects they need to be considering are. So for instance, looking at hospitals international accreditation, um, which would be able to ensure patient safety and quality standards, 
um, the certification of professionals in the industry, looking at the certifications and validating the credentials of the physician. You can go to the websites of the international accreditation bodies to make sure that those are legitimate accreditations, that they're still valid. And you can also see if there have been claims filed um, against those hospitals. Well, and I think one of the issues with guests we portray today is that a lot of falsehoods out there and I think that's where things are getting confusing because because I'm a physician and I can tell you hearing the stories of the people we profiled today mm -hmm. where there are these surgery coaches involved and a lot of confusion and so I want to ask you Glenn because you have a, a little bit of a different perspective you're the author of a book called Patients with Passports I will say it can be very difficult when it comes to things like determining accredita accreditation and knowing exactly in different countries what that even means. Can you address that? Absolutely. So first of all, let's just understand that accreditation is not a panacea. Yes, you want to go to an accredited hospital, you want someone who's board certified, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to get good results. Most of the accreditations are about processes and procedures, not about outcomes. And as a patient, the idea that you're going to be able to get and understand the outcome data, I think is really unrealistic. Moreover, even if it is a good surgeon and a good facility, there's still the risk of the travel itself, bringing back multi-drug bacteria, exposing yourselves in a compromised immune state, airplane travel. And then there's questions about the continuity of care. Will your home country physician be willing to treat you afterwards? And last but certainly not least, if something does go wrong, like the patient you talk to has $200,000 in debt, there's a the question about what happens then. Can you sue for malpractice? And the reality is if you go abroad for medical tourism, it's much, much more difficult to recover than in the United States. And you're saying, Glenn, that there's actually no recourse. You can't sue if you're getting treatment somewhere else and something goes wrong out of the United States. You can certainly try, but it's going to be hard. Now, Glenn, uh, what you touched on is so important that the surgery goes on for one hour, two hours, four hours, mm -hmm. but the process that happens after that the recovery and the post-operative care is as important, if not more important, than the surgery itself. So you have to make sure that all of those ducks are lined up, things come up. If your physician, if the facility is not readily available, that's a problem. So what are the best countries to go to for medical tourism? Our guests will be back with the answer after the break. Coming up. How do you ensure that you're going to actually see the same MD that you've researched online? Then, today's doctor's prescription could save your life. Your life is not worth the risk for an elective procedure. That's coming up. Coming tomorrow, how to get past your fitness plateau. If you're not doing that while you're doing your abs, you're wasting your time. Plus, can an allergy attack turn into a sinus infection? The answer in quick fire questions. That's tomorrow. with Renee Marie Stefano, president of the Medical Tourism Association, and Glenn Cohen, Harvard professor and author of the book, Patients with Passports. Renee, I want to ask you, if you are someone who is considering medical tourism, can you talk about maybe some of the locations out there where they're just doing a fabulous job with transparency and, and sharing data, sharing outcomes with us? Countries like Singapore, um, Thailand, South Korea, for example. Um, those are three excellent examples of where superior medical expertise is also met by government regulation and reporting requirements for medical travel um, and medical travel programs. 
If someone is interested in, in medical tourism and going abroad, how do you ensure that you're going to actually see the same MD that you've researched online? Like, how do you avoid maybe a bait-and-switch scenario where you do all your research, but then you go abroad, you don't speak the language, you're relatively isolated, and then you find out you're not getting what you signed up for? You absolutely should request that to be in your contract. I think it's important to travel with somebody who speaks the language and to have somebody there as support for you. And here it's important to realize that not all countries will be as accepting of your spouse or support. So, for example, if you're in a same-sex couple, that's the kind of thing you want to find out, whether that person has power of attorney over you, whether a living will will be enforced, situations like that. But it's really difficult to put this on the shoulders of the patient. Caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, is good for car salesmen. That should never be our slogan for medical care. Well, I appreciate both of you weighing in on this important topic. Thank we you. really appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break before our closing words. Stick around. Coming up, today's doctor's prescription could save your life. Your life is not worth the risk for an elective procedure. That's next. Y'all hear that? That is the sound of success because everyone here is going home a winner in the doctor's word of the day giveaway. Just by hanging out in our studio, you could also be a winner. For tickets, log on to our website, thedoctorstv.com, or you can call area code 323-THE-DOCS. See you soon. For a prescription today, I just want to talk about a few things you need to consider before you get any elective medical procedure, whether that's here in the U.S. or abroad. And I also want to make something very clear. Today we've talked about medical tourism and in particular, maybe less than stellar clinics, individuals who are performing procedures abroad who are not accredited. Having said that, we've also profiled people in this country who've had black market procedures and died from them. Anywhere you go, you need to do your research. Remember, it's an elective procedure, so you need objective research. Do not, under any circumstances, choose who your surgeon or facility is going to be or the country you're going to go to based on someone online, on social media, promoting all of these falsehoods. Because if you do, yes. your life could be in danger. And if you do ever go somewhere, and I don't care if it's in the U.S., in Mexico, Canada, abroad, if you walk into a medical facility and you are there, I don't care how much money you've even spent to get there, and you are uncomfortable, you see blood on those sheets that they're about to put you on, say no. Your life is not worth the risk for an elective procedure. You need to be completely comfortable. You need to have had an informed consent. You need to also know who exactly you can go to if there are any complications. And I, and I would just finish with this thought, and that is you talked today about all the certifications that you go through. And there are so many wonderful countries across the world where they have great accreditation, they do have transparent data, and just make sure that if you ever do choose medical tourism, that you choose to go somewhere where all this data is transparent so that you're not guessing. I want to thank you, thank you. Leslie. Thank just you. a phenomenal job today in your reporting. And I would like to think this this show will save lives. I, I certainly hope so. And certainly we'll have more information on our website, thedoctorstv.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.